Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 12 on the Sight and Sound list, Eight and a Half, Federico Fellini's self-reflexive examination of a creatively bankrupt filmmaker and the woman who made him who he is. Our second film this week is Nine, basically the same thing, but with bad songs. And here is the thing, like absolutely yes, but in Rob Marshall directed nine and in it I see absolutely no reflection from him on on his own oh, work. Ab- absolutely. In in that he is essentially just taking a Nine, I guess. There's okay stage musical of um what's it blimmin' called? Uh, eight and a half. Eight and a half. <laughs> and uh just shooting it like a Rob Marshall thing. Yeah, except like uh, the only other Rob Marshall film I've seen the whole way through is Mary Poppins Returns. And I've mm-hmm. seen like clips of Chicago. And both of those feel so much more ambitious in, in the way they stage and shoot dance and musical numbers. Well in in how they think about themselves. Mm. Because, like, yeah, eight and a half is Fellini looking at himself and being like, what am I as a man? Yes. What, what is it to make? What is it to be in the world? Other than being a world-class pussy hound, what, 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 <laughs> yeah. is, what is there to me? Just incredible. Insane that there are so many scenes in which he is in bed or near a bed with people and the bed is intact because the amount of notches on it would surely have torn it to shreds <laughs> at this point. Um, but, and... Marshall is like Mary Poppins Returns is not a, a home run of a film, but there's no. some very strong work in it, and there's some very yeah. strong directorial work in it. And, and the the strong work in it is when he moves away from what I am going to dismissively and somewhat inaccurately call just filming a Broadway musical. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Which. Uh, as an exchange, like the the thing that makes Chicago work is that that becomes their interior lives, mm. and Chicago is all about uh, keeping secrets, uh, uh, people having two faces. So having a film and a play which reveal different levels of reality about each other intercut is like a valid approach. Yeah, and uh, just making a, a a gumball fantasia, which is both about how uh, we should take down the banks and collective action, but also really all the banks need to be do is just be nice. Yeah. Trying to, like, figure out the message of Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, was, I believe was, was like the a, message is, you'll never guess who's back. <laughs> I just remember seeing that movie and thinking, like, 
what is this trying to say about capitalism? I, I, do, I just, because like, there are like these feints that like, oh, this character's a union organizer, but like, yeah. then that never, that never shows up. And then like, well, and then like, just then, going like, what, 20 years on, what would be votes for women? Yeah. You know? The like thing about that movie is at the end, they have to like do something impossible, right? They have to like literally turn back time so that these people's house won't be taken from them by the bank. And how they go about turning back time is through collective action. It's through all these lower class laborers coming together and unionizing, stacking their ladders on top of each other so they can climb up fucking Big Ben and turn back time. And then at the end, they're like, oh no, we actually can't reach it. Oh, here we go. It's a magical upper class white lady to come along and, yeah. and turn back time with magic. Finally answering the question, is Cher Mary Poppins? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, because... She asks if she could turn back time yeah. and Emily Blunt, a poor casting choice who does her best as Mary Poppins, uh, 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 is able to do that. Yep. Yeah. I want to see Cher. Are you free? I think Mary Poppins. Cher is Mary Poppins. Yeah. No. Nah, who? Okay. You're rebooting Mary Poppins. Who's your Mary Poppins? Well, okay. He, 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 Michael he, Pena, so obviously. He, 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 here's the thing. You are rebooting Mary Poppins, but also it's a crossover with Moonstruck. And, and so that's how you bring in Cher. Oh, uh, yeah. So it is a sequel to Moonstruck that yes. brings in. All right. Okay. So Cher can't be Mary Poppins, or are we Eddie Murphying and she's playing two roles? Uh, it's, a, it's a sequel to Mary Poppins. It's yeah. also a crossover with, with Moonstruck. Yeah. But also, it's a stealth reboot of Nanny McPhee. Oh, okay, great. And, yeah. and because I presume, and all- I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure if you know this, but like Nanny McPhee, it's basically just Mary Poppins. Have you seen Nanny McPhee? Yeah, I've seen Nanny McPhee a surprisingly large number of times. I really rate that film, and I don't. I, I it is clearly in some way in response to Mary Poppins. Yeah, but. I don't know. It's the whole Inception is a ripoff of Paprika thing. I'm sure. like, nah, you're allowed to. Anyway. I mean, look, I, 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 I've not seen Nanny McPhee since I was probably like 11, yeah. and I have no real interest in, in revisiting it. And I am sure that, like, the Nanny narratives are like, like boarding school stories mm. are like a core part of the British psyche. Yeah. I mean, how else would you explain, like, any, like, there has... There's a domineering person in control, and we are told where to eat and sleep. Yeah, that explains kind of well, yeah, the whole yeah. of the, the British. The, the, like, yeah, I feel like three essential like British stories are. Yeah, what if it was a boarding school? Yeah, what if it was a nanny? And uh, what if it was a famous five? Marshall has made films that work and that that respond where his style develops and responds to what is being shown, and like. Uh, 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 eight and a half is the fundamental argument against the author being dead, right? Because, I mean, I believe in Schrodinger's author. When it's interesting, the author is there. When it's not, you know. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Both ways of looking because auteur theory is uh, uh, an interesting way to analyze texts and not to make them. Sure. You know? Not to bring these movies up again, but if, but if anyone would like the clearest possible demonstration of like what the auteur theory means, Euphor is writing down which series of movies I'm about to mention. I think I might have made this same point a couple of episodes ago. I think you made it in person earlier today. Possibly. As if we're not in person now. 
the microphones, their barriers between uh, us. With the first free female prisoner scorpion movies yeah. yeah i got it right which, which all four of those movies are like written by the same people yeah and like have like most of the same creative team like, yeah, like the resident evil films but the first three are directed by a Chunya ito and then the fourth and final film in the series uh, female prisoner scorpion 701's grudge song <laughs> directed by yasuhara hasebe is so boring and so slow mm. and has none of the visual flair despite being shot by the same person mm. and it's like all of the sets are boring there are no good action set pieces despite being written by the same person and like the the, the, the like main performance by Meko Kaji feels less intense despite being the same actress yeah and also it has a male co-lead which Shunya Ito would never fucking let happen because uh, mm. Men don't get to be characters in his movies. Yeah, it would be called Male Prisoner Scorpion. Yes. If that was. Yeah. And to be clear, there are films with men in them and there are films with women in them. And, and never, never the, the twain, twain shall meet. meet. Uh, uh, I, d- I simply don't believe in it. I'm only watching, is it Nine Femme, the uh, God Ozon movie? The, that one that's all women that's called just like The Women. And uh, 12 Angry Men, obviously, yeah. and its sequel, Ocean's 13, uh, which I'm going to say George Clooney is a woman in drag. Yeah. That would make, like, a fa- an Ocean's film. Uh, okay, yeah. Every character is being played by someone not of the the original performance's gender in drag. Like, imagine Charlie's Theron is Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a good idea. And uh, Bruce Willis is Julia Roberts. Yeah, because because he was in that scene with Julia Roberts. In, you're you're in right. 12, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's It's an in-joke for the fans. Yeah. Like in Men... When it's really fucking good, but everyone says, oh, it's a bit obvious and intellectual, which is a little like Easter egg for Alex Garland fans who are like, oh, yeah, I remember how people say that about every single piece of his work until eventually they catch up with us. The geniuses don't make me bleep you. It's a nice movie. Yeah, no. Finn is now becoming actually cowed by my bet of being furious at him of not liking men as much as I did, and now I immediately regret it. But like me not liking men as much as you do has been something we've talked about since the first episode of this podcast. Is that the best joke we've done? This is our 99th (laughs) episode, but our 100th record to celebrate was that our best ever joke that we've done on here. I think it's high up there. <laughs> I The only reason I didn't laugh is because I was so stunned, by, <laughs> genuinely stunned by how good it was. It's almost as if you're a fresh and unique comic voice uh, contributing to this uh, surprisingly insightful and entertaining uh, work of media analysis. <laughs> Eight and a Half yep. is a film transparently... About Federico Fellini, yes. the man who wrote and directed it. Co-wrote, 
uh, yeah, I yeah. think he was always a co-writer, yeah. but like his credit at the end is like idea and direction yeah. by. He cast a guy he always has as his author insert. Yeah. He cast Marcello Mastriani, who uh, I think we would all be very happy to have as our author insert. Uh, he, you know, the first 20 minutes of this, he's in sunglasses yeah. and a suit. We have unpacked this on La Dolce Vita, but there is something about the way Fellini looks that makes everyone the hottest shit in the world, right? Like later in the big kind of Bacchanalian scene, he's fucking whipping people. And the old showgirl is finally given a chance, this comedy character uh, 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 to do her floor show because she's so past it. And uh, uh, Guido, uh, who is uh, Fellini's stand-in, has rejected her. He'll reject all of you. She gets a moment in the spotlight. Uh, to do a dance which she constantly fails, dropping her pearls, and it is pathetic. But it's even then you're like, this, this is hot, Fellini. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, w- w- which, which is something that like, which is something that at nine fails to do at every at like every turn. Well, even though it, its approach to all the, all the musical sequences is like. Uh, what if we just had this actress in lingerie and then yeah. she's like walked around a bit and, and like, you know, there's, there's, a it, 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 there's something very specifically like aughts MTV about it. Yeah, there's yeah. very like Christina Aguilera's dirty D-I-R-R-R-T-Y period. Yeah. One of the first major musical numbers is like Daniel Day-Lewis's Guido on the phone with his mistress Carla played yeah. by Penelope Cruz mm. and sort of a like phone sex scene which then cuts to this musical number of, of like Penelope Cruz and lingerie sort of like yeah. writhing around on like a clear glass floor. Uh, then, it, no, it's a mirror. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I mean, doing I don't know, some, some sort of like dance or ropes and, and like... It is Penelope Cruz, an objectively incredibly attractive woman, yeah. driving around in lingerie. Who, and who, who also, who knows, like, uh, Penelope Cruz is also, like, <laughs> look at her films, uh, look at her work with Almodovar. Yeah. Al- Almodovar. Fucking hell. Pedro Almodovar. Yeah. No, I still feel like I'm doing it wrong. Pedro Almodovar. Pedro, look at her films with Pedro Almodovar. Why? Now I'm just doubting it, you know? I don't know. You wouldn't. Yeah. I don't think you have any way to relate to when you've got a word in your head and you can't quite get it out. Yeah. You know, yeah, I should, uh, uh, it is obscene of me to make that joke and I take it back. Our best joke and our worst joke in one episode. <laughs> um, look at her work with Pedro Almodovar. Uh, 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 she is a, uh, a she can play like nuance and realism and also like yeah. a massive crashing slapstick and comedy, which are the two tones El Motivar has. And to be clear, uh, generational talent, love the guy. Mwah, mwah. Yeah. And like, even though El Modova is a gay man who finds straight people kind of fundamentally ridiculous, yeah. he still makes men and women together seem hot. Well, and he is like uh, uh, unintentional bringing him up, but is he our closest Fellini. I mean, in that, that there is this sense of uh, he he yeah. makes films about a much wider social spectrum of people, but there is always a glamour and a distorted glamour to them. Yeah, and, and, and uh, always about how everyone is secretly sad. Yeah, and this feeling of like intense spectacle, even when the story is intimate. Well, yeah, and Almodovar's twist on it—the reason he's not just Fellini too, whose name would just be Fellini because two eyes at the end for two—is mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, uh, that he is found. Away 
to put spectacle into uh, like Fellini is clearly like, I love the stakes of the rich Mm. because their lives, if their lives fall apart, they have so much to lose. And our mode of has found ways to make that work for, you know, the people we should actually be making films about. Um, But also both of them understand how a story asks for a style, right? Mm. Like this film, Eight and a Half, about a uh, uninspired, like a director who's about to make a film. Yeah, but like just has no idea what film he is making. And everyone he's talking to, he's either lying mm. and saying he has an idea or being like, what the fuck do I make this film about? And then being like, you're the genius. Yeah, and he's like, uh, I guess I guess build a spaceship and I'll figure something yeah. out. And, and, and telling that film as a, a, a loose, not like a loose pile of, of semi-connected scenes where the, a plot does run through them, but it yeah. is also equally a, a, a memory play. Yeah. Because it is not a film about film uh, at all. I believe in in a way that nine misunderstands it it, it just to make something about someone who doesn't know what to do and everything is piling up around them and they just keep reflecting like the real plot of eight and a half isn't, will he make this film? It is, can he make peace with all the women in his life? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, And that he has betrayed or discarded for his work. Like, as I said, the reason I, I have a long established rule that uh, I think films about people making films are lazy. Uh, and I, I'm not counting documentaries. Mm. I just, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, sucking your own dick can break your back sometimes, I guess. Uh, and, and the reason I count eight and a half as an exception to that is that I just don't, I think him being a filmmaker is irrelevant. I think this could be a film about an architect. Yeah, yeah. no, it could be about an architect. They could be like, what are the plans for this building, yeah. you know? Or, or Yeah, uh, well, yeah we've, we've already dug the foundations. and yeah. yeah, yeah. And it is like how Almodovar can go from so, like, smooth, right? Yeah. He can make films that are so... Like, I just remember the l- liquidity of live flesh, right? Like a film that runs over you like syrup. And then there's, like, the madness of Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Yeah. This, this incredibly just jagged barrage yeah. of events. Or, like, Law of Desire or, or, like, The Skin I Live In. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I've not seen Law of Desire, but absolutely yeah. The Skin. The, the, the Skin like, in Which I Live. If you ever want to see 25-year-old Antonio Banderas having gay sex that's the movie to go to it's good stuff mm, I don't know he, why I'd be interested look, in that he's a guy who's just got out of prison he's obsessed with a, he's obsessed with like a gay porn director it's, it's good it's yeah good stuff. that does sound like Pedro there's some murders someone rides a motorbike um really <laughs> high drama uh, uh, and what and it is in the way that like La Dolce Vita feels like a dream right like in that they float through this world and this eight and a half feels like memory right uh because you are often going into flashbacks and you're not quite sure where the present is yeah you know he he is inside his head and so it, it has to be like that right 
it has to be presented in this way. And what Rob Marshall has done is take uh, and the musical adaptation, take the story of eight and a half and done it like a Rob Marshall film, which is that you have kind of high glamour, uh, uh, you know, black mist on the lens, re- quote unquote realism with, with uh, Daddy Day Lewis uh, looking great. Oh, yeah. and, and with, you know, Sophia Loren in the car driving through Rome. Love it, you know, talking to Judy Dench outside Cinecita yep. Studios. W- oh, w- with Agnes Varda's haircut. Maybe that's not really Cinecita, though, because Cinecita burned down the year before, I think. But oh. not all of it. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, 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 and then, which is like, as a base level, not bad. Sure, it is yeah. cutting to MTV versions of just filming people doing a Broadway show. Yeah. Which, and the songs aren't, like, the songs are not terrible, but they are default Broadway musical well, songs. Yeah, they are super bland. They all sound the same. And the, like, only memorable part of any of the songs is the fact that all of them, at one point or another, just have someone shouting Guido, Guido over and over again. Or, yeah. Or, or just, like, like, re- like, really trying to be, like, we are Italiano in this one. And like, yeah. sort of trying so hard to seem Italian and try harder at like, my like big problem with the musical numbers in this, apart from there being uh, no interesting choreography, it's all just people no. standing around, like occasionally like strutting. Well, yeah, no, uh, the, sorry. The, the, how we got to our mode yeah, of that yeah. is, is uh, the point I wanted to make about this first uh, Penelope Cruz dance. Oh, right, yeah, is yeah. that because that was all just me uh, uh, covering for what I'm about to say is that Penelope Cruz can also just vamp. You sure, can yeah. just point a fucking camera at Penelope Cruz and she knows how to look good in it. Yeah. And like there, there are moments within this number on the mirrored floor where you get images of her with herself reflected in the floor where I'm like, that is an image from the eight and a half musical. Right, yeah. And then she immediately gets up and is doing a scene from the film Burlesque. And it is this antiseptic, airless kind of um, focus group tested idea of sexiness that manages to just, by appealing to everyone, just like, you know, it's Mm. just, it's all fishnets and thighs and butts and boobs and you're just like have a point like well, yeah well, you like, know like like it, like if, if you have want, a specific horniness yeah please. like if you want to make some shit that's hot watch eight and a half and like look at the way that federico federico fellini films claudia cardinale's face or literally any person in that film yeah. right but my like big problem with musical numbers is that one one of the things that like the musical does yeah one of the like uh, I think one. I think one of the defining features of a musical is mm. uh, using song to express otherwise unexpressible emotions, and, yeah, yeah. and and using like music and dance to go bigger. Yeah, you know? yeah. When you can't talk, you sing. Yeah, and obviously like, there are music. Musicals work in many ways. Sure, I agree yeah. With but like eight and a half 
is so much more expressionistic. It's the use of dream sequences than Nine ever is in its use of musical sequences. When it goes to a musical number, it just cuts to a music video. There it's are never... some times where they play games with flipping in and sure. out of the world, but not but, not enough at all. But yeah, like almost never uses like the set design or the choreography or anything other than just like the most basic lyrics of the song to to like express anything about the characters. Yeah, in Eight and a Half, the scene that I remember most clearly is the dream sequence in, inside the house where like Guido is living with all of the women in his life and they like swaddle him like a baby and yeah. then he starts whipping them when, when they try and rise up against him. Well, and that's where the old showgirl gets to yeah. do her show. Yeah, and, and like that and like that sequence tells you so fucking much about what is going on inside his brain. Yeah. And is like iconic to look at. And the film is called Eight and a Half mm. because Fellini up until this point had made six features and three short films. Mm. So this was his and a half film yeah like uh, and so it is also being like because that that scene specifically i also dig that scene i dig that it is uh uh, uh, uh like almost every like even when he plays he cuts out of scenes like that could be dreams into people waking up in bed there's no sense of like immediately drawing a line. You don't see someone go to sleep and then the dream happens, yeah. you know? Um, but is that it is so clearly a person wrangling with specific individuals in his life. Yes. And flat, like, uh, this is a scene that could only be made by a, a, a director who is at really reflecting mm. because of how far he pushes himself and how far he pushes them. And you're like, it does. And all it does is complexify him. Mm. And what Rob Marshall's musical numbers do is because essentially everyone gets a solo. Marion Cotillard gets a solo song, which is about, I love you. Nicole Kidman gets a solo, which is about, I love you and so on. Right. And some are like, I'm so horny or I miss you or whatever. And, uh, they are some of the best screen presences going. It's nice to see that Marion Cotillard, uh, uh, you know, post public enemies was just like, okay, I will learn English. And then boom, she's in it. It's yeah. great. Um, and, and you know, the rest are all stars. And sure, yeah. with the, the major, like the question mark being Kate Hudson. And I think that's, just because she doesn't, does she have much musical experience? She just felt like her, uh, you know, when RuPaul dances? No. Uh, uh, she never stops, she never moves her feet and is always moving her arms. And it is clearly right. someone who's not that good at dancing, doing the most dancey things they can. Yeah. That was the sense I had about Kate Hudson, who does well Elsewhere in the film well, as well. Sure. And, but, but, and but, but, I, that, that seems cruel because her whole piece is set on a model catwalk. Yeah. And so it's all about giving her pointed walking to do. The entirety of the choreography for Kate Hudson's big musical number is just people strutting back and forth. Yeah. And like, I, I, I just. Yeah, and there are moments of it when, when they're aping Fellini's mm. style because this is one of the bits that's the most Fellini parts of it are in black and white. Sure. There's yeah. lots of people wearing very similar things. And uh, 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 she fits within that well. And then yeah. it just, yeah, becomes a music video again. And to be clear, when I say music video, I mean default bad music video. I don't mean the work of Mark Romanek or, or Michel Gondry, yeah. you know?
I just wish there was like any attempt to seriously engage with the character psychologies in these numbers. Or if you if you're not going to do that, at least just have good dancing. And and, and like uh, eight and a half is about complexity and does not resolve. Yeah, things get worse and worse for him uh, uh, until where he's like, uh, are we going to cancel the? F- film uh, kind of probably tear tear the shit down then there's a press confidence press confidence i mean i mean there's i don't have much confidence in the in the anyway uh conference at the end where you can't where it's just a mania around him Mm. uh where he seems kind of lost in a drift kind of doomed to this noise that he has inflicted upon himself that turns into like this weird clown show and then the, the film ends well uh, uh, after he commits suicide yeah yeah and i because he's trapped in this yes uh, uh it is and, and that is a complex ending to a film uh, about complex ideas right and in the all of his interactions when he plays scenes with these you know he gets a scene each meeting each of the women and then almost immediately he is having dinner with two of them and a third one is over there and he has to be negotiating all of these things. Mm. He's built a trap for himself and and they are all their own people with their own lives and thoughts and feelings. And and so there is this sense of like La Dolce Vita of kind of like just dense and deep emotional depth. Whereas the way, the kind of songs they have written for people in, in nine and the way they are shot flatten them. Yeah. It becomes the, the, a film about a guy who just needs to pick a lady, essentially. It's about a guy who's like, oh, you know, he's going through a bit of a tough time, but he, he, he just needs to sort himself out. Yeah. Well, and that is like. And, and that's why all, all of their songs are only about him. Yeah. Or other things as a metaphor for him sure, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but what he, and like, it, it, you know, um, it is not a scene for scene remake. No. Um, um, but it's majorist change is the ending. The film still gets cancelled. Uh, uh, his wife has left him, uh, uh, but he does not kill himself. We get a time dash to two years later. Yeah, he's, he's just like hang, he's just hanging out by the beach with Judy Dench, yeah. who is a character added for this, basically so he has someone to talk to. Yeah. She's an Edith Head style costume lady, and it's Judy Dench, so it's a great time. Sure, yeah, it's just lovely to see her do anything. She gets a song as well. That's fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's nice to see her in a musical that's not a direct assault on the very grains of consciousness in my mind, boiling them right like rice. Yeah. Okay. But you, did you, did you, but okay. But did you know the cats are not dogs? Did you, did you know that? Finn, has, has it, has anyone ever told you that cats aren't dogs? Finn. Yes. You've seen our schedule. No, you know that we will have more than enough space to discuss cats before the end of the year. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, we are continuing the podcast after finishing the list is what we are announcing now, like six bits from the end. I feel like it's obvious. Anyway, uh, uh, I like watching films. I think film, 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 sorry, film I sound Nicholas, film sound Nicholas. So yeah, they're talking on the beach and she's like, you should make another film. And he's like, 
no. And she's like, you should. Everyone's touched by them. Everyone loves your movies that we have never seen a single frame of. And uh, not a person here hasn't been touched by your films. If you made a film, what would it be about? And he goes like, oh, we're trying to win my, trying someone trying to win their wife back. And Judy Dent is like, oh, that's a great film. And then we cut to them making the film. It's called Nine. Yeah. And it is just reducing eight and a half. To so, a guy who, a guy who needs to figure out how to make a film. And, like, to make up with his wife yeah. is a misunderstanding. I understand how it is a step you take to make it a Broadway musical. Sure, yeah. And that is because there are so many techniques within stage performance which allow you to make moments like that much more bittersweet uh, uh, because you have... Uh, more layers of temporal interaction because it is happening at the same time sure. as you, so you can play against but, but, those but, things. But like also the the the, the feel like whole thing of it, it ends with a guy killing himself and then he comes out for another musical number. Yeah, work like would also work in a stage musical. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, like I'm not saying it's good. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. I'm saying is, I like the key thing I want to get to is that like I think with a lot of these numbers, I think they would have been great on stage. Sure. I think even these dances of them, but it is just, it's not, it's simply not filmic enough No, in a way where like that helped Chicago. And I stand by that here. It is just, it, it feels uh, cheap and lazy, mm. right? Well, it feels flat. Like mm. they're flattening everything else about yeah. eight and a half. I think with Chicago, the two scenes that I've seen, uh, uh, cell block tango, yeah, which lipshits, etc. Yeah, which like is good and works, and what, one of the most popular musical numbers yeah. of all time. Look, hmm. it's my it's my personal opinion that uh, that like they 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 they, they did an okay job on that. Did and, they they sell block that tango? Yeah, uh, and the scene with, with marionettes or whatever, where where like Renee Zellweger has turned into a puppet. And, and like both of those musical numbers have clear games to them and build and change over the scene. Yeah, yeah and, and are like doing interesting things with stagecraft. And I don't think a single one of the musical numbers in Nine does anything nearly as interesting as, as either of those. Well, he is, I think, part of the intention aesthetically with the musical numbers. At the, the beginning of the film, you get Daniel Day-Lewis saying a, a Fellini quote, every day a film dies, you know, and I kill a film many times, I kill it when I write it, yep. etc. But maybe in, in the edit you can save it or whatever. Uh, good quote. Uh, Frederico Filmini uh, and then you get him going into an empty studio what will I shoot and then the women uh, Nicole Kidman kisses him and then everyone else appears in this big like Busby Berkeley almost style number on the empty set and what sure. I think they're aiming for is like old school musical Glamour, yes. like the kind of way musicals were happening in 1963 when they made Eight and a Half, mm. even though they weren't really like that. And I think uh, uh, works better intellectually than it does in uh, action, yep. if you know what I mean. No, I, I, I fully agree with that. But it is just the thing I wanted so bad is that Rob Marshall – Looking at himself and the way he makes musicals, the way that Fellini 
like through eight and a half, Fellini is both is kind of apologizing to every woman he's ever worked with, right? And and I think there is something like Rob Marshall could have done something similar. Do you know what I mean? And and there are ways for him to have danced around and to like dig into the, yeah, all the stuff he flattened, right? Mm. And like a key part of that is like, don't make it MTV shit and boring. But, like, there is an opportunity for that, and it feels really sad to miss it. Because, like, I mean, the 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 jury is still out on Fergie. Fergie is in this film. It's why it is classified M contains Fergaliciousness. Yeah, she she plays a uh, uh, she plays some sort of a sea witch uh, beach prostitute. Yeah, yeah. Who uh, in um, of course uh, the original is played it seems by divine uh, yes uh, uh, a great performance uh, i apologize for, for for not remembering that woman's true name uh, and to be clear being compared to divine is a compliment <laughs> um uh, and and i mean that sincerely but it is it is a good cast and there is like eight and a, make eight and a half a musical is not a bad idea. Uh, I think uh, Dolce Vita is a better idea, but anyway, you know? In the original movie, she was played by a woman called Edra Gale, who apparently is also in uh, The Graduate. She's on the bus at the end. Oh, wow. Yeah. wonder what happens on that bus next. The original cast of Eight and a Half is... Do a roll call of honour, you've got it in front of you. Yeah. So, like, obviously, Marcello Mastriani as Guido. Great. Then you got uh, Claudia Cardinale as uh, Claudia, one of the, like, all-time great screen beauties, great actress, uh, is in, like, more films on this list than basically anyone else. Yeah. Oh, there's there's going to be, like, sure, yeah. you know, uh, Jonathan Face, who was an extra at Sinicita for 40 years, yeah. and he's been in all of them. So then Louisa, who is Guido's wife, you have Anouk Amy. Uh, who 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 is also who is also in La Dolce Vita mm. uh, is is in a couple of Jacques Demy's films and again another one of the like old like all time great like classic screen beauties uh, yeah I I remember like I, I interestingly I remember her a lot more in Demi hmm. uh, yeah well, she, she 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 she's the lead of Lola yeah yeah, yeah. and is she in Sherbourg uh, no uh, she uh, she she's in Lola and uh, Model Shop oh mod- uh, yeah Model Shop in Sherbourg yeah. Uh, 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 I, I saw at near the same time. They're all the same in my mind. Yeah. Uh, uh, you hear that, Jacques Demi? All your films, your beautiful, unique, whimsical, <laughs> delightful films are the same. Yeah, so You're not even as talented as your wife. Uh, then as a Guido's mistress, Carla, you have an actress called Sandra Milo. One of the other actresses uh, who was in talks to be in Guido's film is called Rosella, who's played by an actress called Rosella Falk. Then you have an American woman called Gloria, who's played by Barbara Steele, who is... The most dubbed person in this incredibly dubbed film. Yeah, she was an English actress who was in, like, all sorts of stuff, did, like, lots of European movies around this time. Yeah. She is in the uh, Volker Schlondorf movie Young Tallis. Uh, she is also in Piranha. Uh, she, 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 uh, she, she, she's, she's in Caged Heap, the early Jonathan Demi movie. And the woman in prison. For, yeah. Have you, did you, she, she, have she, you watched Caged Heap? No. It is. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to it eventually. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, good on you, Johnny, but it is unpleasant. Yeah. She is in the Vincent Price, uh, Roger Corman uh, poet adaptation, uh, the, the Pit of a Pendulum. She is in Cronenberg's film Shivers. And she is in uh, Ryan Gosling's film uh, Lost River. 
like very long, like weird career full of like the heights of European art cinema and uh, just like, like nonsense Corman exploitation trash. There is a a French actress called uh, Madeleine Lebeau. who was also in Casablanca briefly. And then you have Edra Gale as the uh, uh, sea witch beach prostitute. And like each of those women has such a distinct look to them and a distinct feel. And they are, clearly different characters who yeah. want different things and like and occupy different places in 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 Guido's life. Mm. I mean in 9 all all of the women kind of do the same thing and like there's not there's well, not re- and this is it's a list of women who are un- a unique group of women. Sure. Yeah. Like like uh, 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 Marion Cotillard, uh, Nicole Kidman, Kate Hudson and Fergie uh, uh, are all Caucasian, but beyond that, they have different personalities, different interests. But this, it flattens them. Yeah. It all flattens them into this idea of uh, corsets and, and stockings and yeah. looking at thighs. And it is so just. Did, did Rob Marshall also direct Burlesque? I don't think so. Eight and a half is like. It feels weird to consider as a whole, right? It is so deliberately a set of pieces. Hmm. And I could see an argument against it being that it isn't, it, it, it is that its pieces are great, but it is not greater than the sum of them. Sure. But I do, as I feel like I've established, I kind of think that's the point, is hmm. that it actually kind of needs to feel hollow and melancholy. Um, but how do you, yeah, we've talked about, hmm bits and they're all good yeah they all look great Fellini man why don't we shoot more films in black and white yeah uh, uh, on black and white film in Italy in 1962 specifically yeah so it was the time to do it I mean you could still do it now Kodak's still making Tri-X right no idea that seems like the kind of thing you'd know as I said earlier, the part that always stands out to me in this movie, which like I saw once like seven years ago in a class about science fiction film. Yeah, famous science fiction Abs- film. Absolutely, there is a spaceship in it. Yeah, well, there's no such number as eight and a half. It goes eight to nine. The like part that really landed for me then, and which I immediately like recognized was about to happen this time, is yeah, is, is the scene inside that house where where he is like living with all these women, the the ones like the the sea witch beach prostitute who like defined his childhood and his like his early experiences of sexuality, and the like slightly the older showgirl he used to date as a young man, and and his wife and his mistress yeah. and all these actresses that are around him mm-hmm. and. Him like coming home, giving them all a gift, and they're like, "Oh, we've got a gift for you. We found a Hawaiian lady." And yeah. he looks at her, he's like, "Oh, yes, what a gift!" Yeah, and, and she dances, and it's a bit, mm. yeah. And, and then, yeah. and then they they all like wrap him in like in in, in like yeah. white sheets, like like he's a giant fucking they, baby. They swaddle him, yeah, yeah. And, and and tell and tell him how beautiful he is. And then there is a ceremony that go through mm. where, where like one of his fantasy figures becomes like too old for him to masturbate over anymore, basically. Yeah. And, and 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 she is sent upstairs, mm. which which basically means you know he, he she's like gone from his mind. He doesn't he doesn't think or care about her. Yeah. And like slowly, they're all like, wait, but you're. You're older than all of us. Why do these rules apply to us but not to you? Like, what what gives you the right to just to fucking discard us like that? Yeah. 
And then they begin to rise up. Like those chimney sweeps against that clock. Yeah. They also like shouting about what a hypocrite he is. And then he out of nowhere just like pulls out a whip and like whips more back into submission. And then we're all like, oh, I love you again. It, it is, yeah. it is, it is such a funny like, dr- like dramatization of like how this guy's mind works. Him like almost having this breakthrough about like how he treats women. Yeah. And, and, yeah refusing and, to. Yeah. Us. Yeah. I mean, literally like beating his subconscious. It is such a great scene. It is. Is this like house that they're shooting in is such a fantastic location and it's a great scene for a nook me who in this like fantasy space has become like even more domesticated and is now very like like comfortable with with being like the housewife who like runs his harem yeah there's a great scene where like she goes inside to get to, to, to like get some water and is like scrubbing the floor and there's just something very specific lighting where where, where she is she, she's like scrubbing this like cobblestone floor and there is like a light on, on the like white wall behind her but like in between her and the light there are some sheets hanging up which cast this like great shadow over over a bunch of a room there are portions of this movie I like drop in and out of but, but, because it, but it, it, it kind it, of wants sure right? but it is also a movie I should pay more attention to when I watch it yeah. but like that sequence is is so funny and so gripping and like gets at a lot of really fucking smart stuff about like how this guy thinks about women and when it is like at those heights I I, I love yeah. this film and yeah it is like the self-indulgence of it right which is both uh, uh, the point and the thing it is most angry about sure. is kind of the thorniest thing, both deliberately, and that's the only way it can be. Making a film this self-obsessed with your kind of ambiguous guilt yeah. over how you have been uh, through your life and uh, that there is no way out except for confusion or death. Uh, it only leads to failure and destruction. It is a compelling story, well told, but it is also a man feeling sorry for himself. Sure, it's the Italian version of the mother and the whore. Yeah, absolutely. And it is like, like La Dolce Vita asking us where we are much more separate where he is observing rather than being in the film. You know, I prefer that for that reason. Mm. And it is just because it gets to the point of eight and a half masterpiece as it is, is uh, also the filmic equivalent of someone realizing they have a problem, naming it and thinking that's enough to change it. Sure. You know, Uh, which is a lot of life. Uh, uh, we've all been there. Like, uh, what's the the last major problem you identified about your your personality? Oh no! Here, well, here here's the thing. I I identified all of them. Yeah, quite a long time ago. I uh, and I, haven't fixed any of them. Okay, what's the worst one? What's the one you're most ashamed of telling me? <laughs> Go on. The worst one. The deepest. The one you're thinking of right now. No. The one that sits. No, like I'm not going to do it. Like a dark coin. Nope. At the, yeah, I mean, obviously you're not going to do it. It would be nope. hor- horrifying it would if be. you did. And because uh, we've got to get through the others first, the top one, <laughs> go. Then we're not leaving. The doors are locked. And so why I think I prefer La Dolce Vita, they're both great. And the fact that he, you know, he went on to make more films and they became more and more 
just people having parties or, sure, or just yeah. observing his world looking and, or, or, or like what if there was a satiricon <laughs> yeah and within that you can see him uh growing and changing do you know what i mean mm. like and that is what i think makes it okay Okay, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, makes the the self indulgence of it okay. And like, I'm I'm staunchly pro self indulgence. I just uh, uh, the there's a lot of uh, just saying like I get it. I'm a hypocrite doesn't solve hypocrisy. Do you sure. know what I mean? Yeah. But any homest thin. Yes, I think the eight and a half. In film de Federico Filmini is sound. Where do you stand on it? Uh, I would agree that it is sound. Now, we keep lists. We certainly do. Of every film we've watched uh, for this here podcast, ranking them as we go. Uh, where have you placed upon your list eight and a half? Uh, I have it at uh, number 45, uh, which is above uh, Modern Times and below or debt. Uh, and, and I have it at 16, uh, which is a bit high. Uh, above Once Upon a Time in the West and beneath Suspiria 2018. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know. I saw Once Upon a Time in the West and I was like, that's a good film. Eight and a half is better. And I need to uh, resolve my thinking. But yeah. It's great. You know, like, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who've seen Eight and a Half and love it, and people who haven't seen Eight and a Half. Absolutely. I I think that I could look for for day upon day and not find a single half-star review. Yeah, I mean, why even try? Like, all you will do is... Scroll and scroll till the screen breaks and the glass just shreds your fingers. And so sure of that outcome am I that if you were to find one, I would do that. I will, this phone, I'd smash it on the ground okay. and then rub my hand against the broken screen like a cheese grater until it's just a nub. <sighs> you- my arm is just a nub. It's all gone. <laughs> it would be very messy. You for oh no no no! I need this phone, Finn. I'm. Where else am I gonna? Very sorry to tell you. Oh God! I found not just one, but many half star reviews. No, no, no. Of eight and a half. Okay. Would you Would you like to hear one? Can it at least be my non dominant hand that I grate off? (laughs) And yes, of course, I would like to hear one. Uh, uh, This is a half star review. By uh, letterbox user, you don't know me. Is it N O M I? Nope. Uh, okay. It's just the phrase "you don't know me." It is not. It is not the refer- it, it is not the name of the documentary about showgirls. You don't yeah. know me. Yeah. Uh, I. I mean, yes, we don't yet. Okay. I've had a vendetta against this movie since I first saw it in college as part of my film major. Maya Angelou famously said, of course, that we don't remember what people said or did, just how they made us feel. Obviously, the same can be said of movies. 
I could only remember this movie making me feel bored out of my mind, and in disbelief at how such pretentious garbage could be considered anyone's favourite movie, let alone, like, a bunch of shitty film school dudes' favourite movie. Do they have no soul? No, probably not. Later in my life, I would watch Ernest Saves Christmas, and wonder in awe at its perfection. Jim Varney is a comedic genius, and every scene sparkled and shined. It occurred to me that a film like that is true cinema. It delights entertains and warms my heart. I can think of no greater use for the medium. And back then, for some reason I thought of Eight and a Half, and how bizarre it is that we live in a society where people would lord a pretentious, self-indulgent, black-and-white snooze fest over something so pure and, well, earnest as earnest. Cut to, I'm back in film school for MFA purposes, and Eight and a Half is listed on my syllabus as recommended viewing. Well, it had been so long since I first saw the movie that it seemed like my strong conviction that Ernest Aves Christmas is better than eight and a half, the hill I'm willing to die on, was due for reinvestigation. And so I just rewatched it. I stand by my convictions, but only now with further evidence towards my ideology. At two hours and twenty minutes, it's no wonder the first time I saw it, locked in that screening room, I felt like I was being tortured. This time I watched it in fifteen to twenty minute spurts on, X- on HBO Max over the course of two weeks because Jesus, this movie sucks. Like honestly, Guido can fuck off. He's boring. He's whiny. He's so pretentious. Ugh. He cheats on a bunch of women and then decides that's art, basically. It's a movie about a guy who shouldn't have made a movie. And then the only redeemable character in the entire thing is the film critic who was like, yeah, you shouldn't make this jackass bullshit where you pretend like you're all smart and thought-provoking when really you're just a piece of shit who's wasting everyone's time and energy. And then the movie goes on to be considered a masterpiece? Truly, this fact is everything that is wrong with everything. But I did figure out why shitty film school dudes love this movie. It's because they're ego monsters with nothing to offer the world and like seeing themselves represented on film. And then uh, it ends with with a slash uh, pops off. Um, I've been thinking about studying again, Hmm. specifically around film. But if there are master's programs towards filmmaking that contain people that look at it uh, that could write that it, with that tone, holding that opinion is fine. Uh, 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 the weird judgment and dismissal, the straw manning of made up people, these egotistical film people. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of ego in looking at a uh, semi competent comic uh, uh, attempt, uh, uh, Jim Varney, and being like, this is better than the work of Fellini well, because it, you got bored. Yeah. I don't want to do it any Like, the yeah. chance of them being like, I'd have to interrogate everyone. The, like, amount of damage that the Suffolk's bro has done to people online's ability to talk about things they don't like is is so extreme. Every, like, vaguely left-wing person now cannot think of another way to d- describe stuff they don't like. They're like, oh, it's a, it's a film bro, or it's a crypto bro, or it's a Bernie bro. At least with, like, crypto bro, there is at least, like, a specific thing there that, 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 that is, like, yeah. sort of measurable. Yeah, film- the failure of crypto. Yes. When people talk about film bros... It literally just means people who like films I don't like. Yeah. Or people who like films in the wrong way. It is such a, like, non-specific thing. It is a term that only exists to, like, construct an opposing ideology where one doesn't exist. Well, it's all about, like, it is the curse of what is facing the reason the internet has killed us all and made us all insane 
is that the endorphin rush it has utilized of attention, right? Mm. Someone alike, a tweet, I get, everyone understands this. I don't think I'm breaking ground. Um, but the, the, do you want to know the thing that enhances that? Sure. Being absolutely sure you were right, right? And, yeah. and we are stuck in this turmoil of everyone knowing they have the right answer. And if someone doesn't have the same answer or doesn't know a thing you know, they're not just like incorrect, they're bad. Yeah. And I, if I was teaching film and found that review, I would kill that student. (laughs) And I don't think there's a court in the land who would convict me because I presume it's in America and murder is legal there now, right? Sure. Well, I'm white, so I can just do it. Uh, again, a reminder to our American listeners, if you're out there, leave, leave genuinely, like it, 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 the it, next five years are going to be fucking horrible for your it, country. If, if it's possible to get out, you should do it. And, and like, I am sure there are organizations in both uh, Mexico and Canada. And if you're in Hawaii, oh no, still Canada, uh, uh, not Hawaii, Alaska. Yeah. Uh, in Hawaii, you're all right. I mean... <laughs> Take this opportunity. It's going to take a lot of radiation to reach you. Well, no, <laughs> I'm just saying it'd be a good opportunity to take your land back yeah. to, to to the indigenous population there. But no, just like genuinely look at all the signs. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this person they must have a pretty wackadoo taste in films, IMO. But there's no way for me to find that out. Well, actually, <gasps> I, 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 you could try and guess the top four favorite films. Oh, uh, it's listed on libertox.com. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, is, all right, um, is one The Magnificent Ambisons? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Are uh, any in black and white? Uh, no. Uh, are any in 3D? No. Are any in, uh, like, sense around, you know, with the nose? No. Okay. Um, do, 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 do you want, like, a hint, maybe? No, no, no. Okay. Are uh, any, like, a fantastical? Uh, no. All, all, all pretty grounded. Are they all in the English language? I'm just laying the groundwork. Uh, I assume the one had a bunch of Yiddish in it, but uh, maybe it doesn't. Is that Fiddler on the Roof? No. Is that, it Yentl? It is Yentl. Yeah. The second one, uh, the the title is the entirety of a piece of text that appears in the film. Fahrenheit 451? No. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. So say it again? The, the like, title itself is the entirety of a piece of text that appears in the film. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a drama? It just says comedy on, okay. on that box. Is it, is it from this millennium? No. Is it American? It is. Okay. Was I alive when it came out? Yes. Oh, God. Um, hmm. Is it Tu Wong Fu, best regards, surname, surname? Uh, yes, it is Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Yeah, that's right, Julie Newmar, of course. Yeah. Uh, it's got RuPaul in it, it does, as we discussed before. Yep. 
uh, that was going to be one of my hints. I mean, I think, I mean, I realized, I think I'd already used that hint for this movie before. No, I used it as a hint when we played this show quizness, oh, like right. show quizness, like show quizness, I show in the, uh, in the lewd for muff and, uh, 2069 episode. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, okay. The, the third movie, uh, with the way the central relationship ends up at the end of the film, uh, this movie would be very popular on Pornhub currently. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Is it, is it it's a Woody Allen film? No. Oh, God. Um, Flowers in the Attic? <laughs> no. It's not Back to the Future. No. So, but it is incest we're talking about. A little bit, yeah. Like step, step, step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Clueless? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, then, uh, oh, God. It's Paul Rudd, isn't it? It is. Step, that's right. Yeah. Man, uh, what then, a good film. Uh, the fourth film, um, I don't know if you will have heard of. I don't know if I've ever heard of it. Yeah. What's the year? Uh, 2007. Okay. Well, it, uh, give me some cast. Yeah. It is an independent film. Okay. Uh, it was distributed by Fox Searchlight. Oh, yeah. In this cast, you got Nathan Fillion, Andy Griffith, Cheryl Hines, Eddie Jemison from the Oceans movies, Jeremy Sisto. I haven't given you the lead yet. Uh, all right. Genre. Romantic comedy drama. Okay. Who directed it? A woman called Adrienne Shelley, who this is the most prominent thing she's directed. Okay. I'm not going to get this. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a movie called Waitress starring Kerry Russell. Oh no, I could have gotten that. I, oh. Fuck. I do know that. Another thing that was turned into a musical. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that was the other musical that I believe had the misfortune to come out the same year as Hamilton. Oh, okay. But, but generally, like, yeah, no, I have not, I would never have gotten it, but I just, yeah. Apparently it's good. People like it. Last one. Was that it? That, that, that was it. All right. So nine. Yeah. German for no. It's tempting to make that the whole review, right? But there are the, the, the one thing we've talked about it pretty well, right? I want to talk about the nice slash nasty discovery it led me to. Um, which is when you look at especially his early work, Daddy Day Lewis is like beautiful laundry in my left foot. Um, you could easily look at and be like, these are okay films being raised by great performances. Right. And what this film shows is that, you know, it's not his biggest or his best performance, but he's not, he is still compelling to look at. Sure. He still puts some, they look, he's good at brooding. He's good at everything. Yeah. Especially because he usually takes like two years to like figure out yeah. how he's going to play a character. And he came into this like, well, like a month or two before shooting started. Cause someone dropped out. Yeah. 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 yeah like it is a serviceable performance. It works for the movie. And, uh, and, and he, he is like, he's the best performance in it. Yeah. And that is not, a bare field of play for that. And so I guess it was just kind of nice to, to be like, Oh no, no, no. Like there are films that, that even a Daniel day Lewis performance cannot save. And yeah. also just allows me to look at, uh, uh, especially my beautiful laundry, which is two great performances. And we like, no, no, like 
their whole film is good TV film anyway. Um, and and that is just it's nice to know that there are some uh, 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 bricks so thick that even Daniel Day Lewis cannot punch through <laughs> them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it, it, he's such a strange choice for the role, though. Uh, yeah, uh, not a singer, not a dancer. Well, and not, like, he's Daniel, as much as he's the chameleon, you know, mm. he disappears, he learns how to do it precisely, Th- that is contained within his star power, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. His star power is to disappear, where the, this is, needs to be a character well, with and, a history, right? And, like, up until this film, his, like, most traditional leading man role is Last of the Mo- yeah, yeah, Mohicans, yeah. which is a good traditional leading man role, but also yeah. fucking kind of weird. Yeah, but that's because uh, Michael Mann couldn't make a normal film if there was a gun pointed at his head. No, he couldn't. And when v- that, very excited for his Adam Driver Ferrari movie. When and when the trigger of that gun was pulled, loud. Yeah, holy shit. Um, uh, and because yeah, he is what this role needs. Like casting. Oh, what is his name? Who Fellini cast? Uh, Marcello Mastriani. Yeah, Mastriani is the only choice because he is his self-insert from the past. Yes. If uh, uh, Truffaut were to make a film like this, he would have to cast... Oh, come on. What is his name? Jean-Pierre Lourdes. Jean-Pierre Lourdes, even if it's not an Antoine Daniel film, mm. you know? And, and with that, and I'm not like... Rob Marshall, I don't think, has like an avatar. No. But you still need someone like with a history who has been, uh, 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 who has drifted through the world and we kind of understand a bit, we bring to it. Cause in this, he just seems like a genius who fucks around a bit and then wants to get back with his wife again, flat. Yeah. You know, like even if it was just like Richard Gere again from Chicago, that would feel more like appropriate for the movie. Or like the thought I keep having, which I don't think is exactly right, but is like Clooney. Sure, yeah. You know, or like, oh, I always want to say Denzel, but that's maybe not for this. But, but like, you know, I just, I just want to see him in more things, specifically things where he's doing Shakespeare at the same time as a dagger Assassin's Creed out of his <laughs> sleeve, because I've only got two of those. Told you you should have watched Fences. <laughs> A good film and good play. Anyway, uh, and there's part of the inherent disconnect, right? And, and that, and this is the first time also I've seen him fail to have chemistry with people he should have chemistry sure, with. Yeah. And I can't tell if that's a performance issue or just the fact that this is so manicured a film. And like, not like Fellini's isn't, but there's just no space for anything organic to happen because yeah. it's so flat, it's so laminated. Wait, like, why? What part of Eight and a Half do they think they are honouring? Do you know what I mean? Or adapting, or re- responding to? Sure. Yeah. I back when I first heard about this movie, a few years after I'd seen Eight and a Half. And and someone's like, hey, there's a movie called Nine, which is a, which is a film adaptation of a stage musical based on Eight and a Half. I'm like, okay, why? Obviously, I think there is a way to turn Eight and a Half into a good musical. 
I, uh, yeah, I yeah. think it is. I uh, yes, I, it is exactly the kind of story that can become a a musical it, very easily. Fellini has a style, yeah. and, and that would you could both adapt and subvert, like. Yeah, and it's, and it's right there. You yeah, know? But, but but like but like what they choose to do is be like, okay, uh, what are all the scenes that aren't in that aren't in eight yeah. and a half? So it's it's like the scene of it's like the scene of him checking into the the the, the like spa, the spa where most of the movie takes place. It's or, or like him calling his wife and asking her to come up to yeah him calling his wife and asking her to come up to the spa. Yeah, the like first half hour especially is trying to fill in the gaps like a fucking episode of like the Obi Wan Kenobi show. Well, and uh, uh, the uh, the Obi Wan Kenobi show is better than nine. As uh, uh, I can't remember if we talked on or off mic about this. If it was the only Star Wars TV show they made and it was the first Star Wars since Solo, it would be good. Uh, 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 it's just, it's not. But here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, people shouldn't watch Star Wars anymore. They should just be, just be done with it. Yeah, I mean, after Rise of Skywalker? Yeah. Yeah, but, like, you understand what I'm saying, right? Sure. And it's not, I just, like... McGregor is doing legit good work. Well, he's a, he's a, he's a great actor. No, but, like... You've seen the prequels. You've seen what it's like when he gently tunes out over the course of three films after sure, being like, yeah. I signed a contract for three films. I mean, I know they let Terrence Stamp go. Well, they let... Please. Uh, who, 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 who's Terrence Stamp? Chancellor Valorum. It's Chancellor Valorum who's voted out and oh. was going to become... Uh, uh, a key member of founding the resistance. See, it's, I think. it's been so long since I've seen any of the prequels. I have no, I have no recollection of the, the Chancellor Valorum. Is the person they vote under emergency mm. powers out to right. replace with Sheev yep. Palpatine, uh, uh, yep. a character we had to spend like six years as films come out, being like, I wonder who he is. Sheev Palpatine, SP, suppressive person, so you know he's a bad guy. Hmm. Who are other SPs in my life, huh? Spin Pickleless? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. No. Hmm. Backwards. Okay, backwards. If, if Finn was spelled PH and the S at the end, there's a P at the beginning and an S at the end, I got you. No P's or S's. In my name. There's one S in a middle name, but mm-hmm. it's safe tucked in there in the word Charles. <laughs> Can't get it out of the word Charles. Nothing bad has ever happened with someone called Charles. Nope. A per- per- perfect track record. God. I hope he didn't. I hope he wasn't in the room when the Queen was like, yeah, we got a kill die, right? <laughs> like... Which is what the <laughs> the end of Spencer kind of implies. Yeah, I got I got to see that movie. It, yeah, by the end uh, by the end of the year you will. Yeah, but also, it just if you've not seen Spencer, the pitch of that film is: what if Kristen Stewart was the lead in like a motion fashion editorial. Which is shot by the person who shot Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, where where the theme, and directed by Pablo Lorraine, where the theme is like Princess Diana, and the way you fill it is back-to-back Oscar clip scenes. (laughs) 
back to back. Every scene is her doing something incredibly emotional really well. Okay, but is there a scene where she cries while unburying a horse? Because that's... Okay. Because, like, that, it seems like it would fit in. Finn, okay, there's not specifically that. But let's remember, this is a film with Sally Hawkins in it. And you know that when you've got Sally Hawkins in it, at the end, something surprising but profound will happen. That's right. She falls in water and Sally Hawkins has to jump in after her. That's what Sally Hawkins has to do. It's either that or get crushed by King Ghidorah. Was it good? Yeah, it is Ghidorah, yeah. Um, That bastard. Can't believe you did it to Sally Hawkins. A known monster fucker. Who do you think Nine is for? Because it's not for people who like eight and a half. No, it, it's it's for it's for teenage girls. It's for people who like Chicago. Yeah, uh, but they deserve it's it's for it's for James Malcolm's. But they deserve. But like, oh sure. Why give them? Why adapt eight and a half for them? Uh, I mean, because 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 it seems like prestige to 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 do an adaptation of eight and a half. But for their audience, oh, I don't know. It is because they and that kind of explains flattening because uh, 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 young female audiences are, of course, as complex as any other audience group. But as a general rule, uh, it seems that they want their comfort narratives. You know, when the, like romance films, uh, uh, when they skew towards younger audiences and romantic musicals tend to uh, uh, become a lot more about pure, true love, right? Sure. So here's my pitch. Should have been Romeo and Juliet. Nah. No, because there's, yeah, there's already yeah. a good version of that. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, exactly. Know, yeah. yeah. Um, nah, the... Uh, Barry Lerman's William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. But I mean, yeah, my, my, my like, I mean, my, my like guess is Rob Marshall's already proven himself at, at adapting stage musicals to it, film. I presume it was successful, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and, and then like, yeah, and then like, since, 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 like, since he's shown he can already do it, yeah. him being like, well, what, like, what would be the stage musical to adapt? Well, it would be. It would be for one that's an adaptation of eight and a half, and I get to make my eight and a half. But he didn't. No, no, he doesn't. What does he think? Eight, uh, you know, like yeah. there's just there's something so frustrating about it. And like, yeah, you're right. Like the a lot of the first act is the scenes implied by eight and a half, or scenes rearranged like we get the press conference scene kind of from the very end now at the beginning because they still want to do it yeah you know we but, get but, lines but, that- but, but, but like in this version of a, of a press conference scene he's like he's like charming and and like yeah. he, 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 he he's like still deflecting and doesn't know what his movie's about yeah but but but, but he does and he's not having a panic attack yeah and he, he does yeah. it all he does it all with a winning smile and a yeah. sense of good humor he looks great though. he does uh, and, and like the the scene in the screening room where he is forced, uh, uh, Guido is forced to be sat down 
and they're like, we are making this fucking film. We are going to cast this film. We are not leaving this. We are watching yeah. all the screen tests. You will yell out what role they are for or if they are not cast, and then we will leave. And it, it, it becomes he is trapped in this kind of uh, tomb that, that, that he is the place he works. Uh, but also the place he can never truly be watching these footage of all these different women he's fucked with and uh, 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 kind of alone and they face him through the screen, right? And, and part of that is the guilt. And it is that uh, in in nine, they're there in the room, mm. which ups the drama by like just removing any sense of uh, agency for the audience to work out or draw a connection as to what is happening. You sure. Know? And, and, and then in, in, in the like back half of a movie, most of what it's doing is instead of giving you like scenes that were cut out, it is giving you dialogue that was implied. Yeah. Gently rearranging chairs so they can switch the ending. Sure. Yeah. And, and like there, 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 there are, there are like bits of eight and a half, which are like fairly heavy handed, but, 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 but like, but, yeah. but, 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 but like, uh, he earns them. Sure, like the, yeah. the, the, the opening, which is a dream. He starts to fly like a kite. He's yeah. pulled down, uh, uh, is so, and then we we land in this kind of bizarre future park that looks like where they go to the park in Solaris, right? And, and he's just pranking about with his friends, talking about this film, and he he's like, "Oh, it's your daughter." No, it's my wife. And it, it's like it's so light. You meet all these people. There's good. There's good jokes. And so when it gets philosophical. It has earned it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It has shown there is a breadth to the world before attempting depth, where as much as I like the aesthetic idea of starting with a man going into the studio and then the film happens in front of him, it does mean that you're like, this is a superficial world. Yeah. And it makes no attempts to add depth to it. I guess what I'm saying is is that out of shite and sound, I don't like this film. Yeah. I think it is shite. I, I would agree that it is shite. Finn. Yes. We keep, as we've already discussed, running lists of all the films we've watched, ranking them. Where do you place nine? So I have it at number 133. Yeah. Uh, which is above My Stepmother is an Alien and below Xanadu. Uh, I have it. There is... Very cruel to my stepmother as an alien. There's some genuine fun. Anyway. Oh, sure. It's a two-star movie. It is bit. Anyway. Uh, that, that, look, that movie is so unconscionably horny. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's good. No, I, I, I do appreciate it as the first ever screen pairing of Alison Hannigan and Seth Green. Yeah. I think that's very charming. Yeah. They're, look, those, those two are great. Hope not, I hope neither of them get into NFTs later on. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Just like... Have you like seen the s- test footage from the Seth Green NFT show? Yeah, yeah. It looks like such shit. It looks like shit. But, like, here... And here, he lost them. Yeah. It's like... Here, <laughs> like, the thing... So, uh, sorry, just... <laughs> 
Seth Green was making a TV show based off NFTs he owned. Well, then yeah, he- and and like NFTs other people own, and like everyone's like using their NFTs together. Yeah, and and it, it is it and is his like- NFTs were stolen, including the lead character, and now he is just pleading on social media, please give me my NFT. Yeah, back. because he legally cannot make his show anymore. Can he legally make like? There's a whole sure, question yeah. around that. Like, well, and the, the like show seems like the most embarrassing, like earnest, like nice core, like lightly romantic sitcom yeah, about like friends around the bar. Yeah. So many people have embarrassed themselves so deeply with this NFT shit. Yeah. But like Seth Green really coming out on top of like guys who embarrass themselves the most with NFT shit. It is. I, I keep being trying to be like, you know, like I was with Spike Lee, where I'm mm. like, I genuinely, I understand why there are, uh, why the African-American community in America, like almost all oppressed communities can be like uh, a system of money that keeps it out of the hands of the people who've killed us for years. Sure. I, I just don't think Seth Green, you know, Seth Green isn't like, I need, I need crypto to hide my money because... Dr. Evil will come and get it, and I'm his son. Yeah. And, like, his, like, the, 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 like, second half of his career is, like, based off of the idea of being like, hey, all, 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 all of the shit that nerds clicked is kind of silly. And, like, and, yeah, in a loving way. Sure. But, like, uh, uh, it, okay. I have, yeah, it placed, at number 125, which is above Tombstone Rashomon and beneath Guilty of Romance. Guilty of other things too. Go fuck yourself, Sono. <laughs> that is a statement on the matter. Sure, yeah. A fan. Yes. It seems unconscionable. <laughs> it seems utterly impossible to comprehend. But would you believe I have found a positive review? It is my belief that there is no bottom to the depth of human depravity. And so, frankly, I'm not surprised that someone would give this a full five stars. Anna Hart. Lisa. Bird emoji. Oh, no, oh, of course it's Lisa. Right. Watching Nine as a child, I used to get all sexy and adult. The energy was insane. Despite its gloss and pomposity, like pomposity, I think. Yeah. This film has never felt insincere or fake. Uh, false. Yeah, I disagree with yeah, that. Ron yeah, Ron Howard voice. It, it wasn't. <laughs> it was in fact insincere and fake, but rather the complete opposite. I'm still in love with it. I literally want to dissolve myself <laughs> in it. Every second tastes like strong dessert wine and smells like cigarette smoke. And I'm always so amazingly drunk while and after watching. Now here is the thing. That's how I feel about before sunset. <laughs> so like, I am so glad that someone has that kind of Pavlovian reaction to this film. I would really readdress your opening line about getting sexy and adult as a child while watching this because it is. But I mean, but like, but like this, this is a child's idea of what is sexy and what is adult. Okay, that's that's, yeah, the, that's yeah, the problem yeah. with it. Yeah, you you are you've in fact called it there, Bucko. 
Okay. This is a uh, interesting and in some ways, str- like, there is a point of view in this top four. Right. Uh, uh, two are in English. Uh, one is entirely in English. One is mostly in English with some other languages. It's set all across the world. Okay, so yeah, it is, it is, it's, it's mostly in English with like a little bit of Navi. I'm going to guess Avatar. No, no, no. It's no. set all across the world of Earth, not Pandora. Uh, Cloud Atlas. No, not throughout time. All at the same time. Everything, everywhere, all at once? No, you're going too hard, too literal. We're in the 90s, the very beginning. 91. You have not seen this. I've not seen it. Yeah. Uh, Winona Ryder plays a character called Corky, who is a taxi driver. It's a a Jarmusch. Yeah. Yeah. It's not coffee and cigarettes. It's not that, no. Is, Is it a blank and blank? It, 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 it's it, three words with the middle being uh, night on earth. It is night on earth. Yeah, yeah uh, which is for uh, uh, five taxis in five cities uh, on one night. It's uh, yeah. it's charming, and it's uh, from that era when there were indie films starring Winona Ryder, a big star. Uh, just like, oh yeah, let's just do five conversations. Yeah, I, I need to watch more Jarmusch because I've. Uh, uh, yeah, he he made Patterson, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, so yeah, I need I need, need to check out more of his stuff. Uh, the next is a French film from the nineties. Uh, Amelie. No, Amelie's two thousand one, isn't okay. it? Okay, I've not. And yet. this is like okay. Here is a major clue. This film, the opposite of Amelie. Well, I haven't seen Amelie, so I don't know okay, what the opposite so of it is. What describe Amelie to me? Uh, there's a girl. Okay, so she, the lead is, so the lead okay, is, is, it, is it Lahane? Yeah, it's Lahane. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a black and white film that stars an angry man in a world without whimsy or justice. The exact opposite of Amelie. Uh, the next, uh, is a film that it is a bold move to put in your top four these days. Uh, uh, it was made as a crime film. Uh, Deep Throat. No, that was that film was a crime when it was made. Yeah, no, I thought I thought that's what you were implying. Oh no, 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 no! This was shot when this was shot. Uh, the The plot that it is now most famous for was uh, originally a B plot, and through editing and reshoots, it was made the A plot, and they cut uh, an entire other thing. Uh, it has it started a whole fashion movement. It's basically uh, a comedy. Uh, Annie Hall. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, hey, Woody Allen, fucked off and died yet. Are you listening? Uh, uh, just, we cut out a long bit there. You'll never guess who it was about killing. Uh, the next is... Actually, you, you, actually, you, you and the audience might be surprised about how many people it was about killing. <laughs> oh, no. This is not listed, this last film. This last film is not listed as watched by you. Okay. When I feel sure you have seen it, mainly because it's Russian. Only one cast member, from what I can see on Libertox. Okay. It is in both, it's two color, both black and white. Yeah, yeah, maybe some gray. And it is really hard to give further clues that do not absolutely give it away. Uh... 
Okay. Uh, it was edited by oh. Elizaveta Sivlova. Ah, well. I mean, no, editing no. is a really big part of this film. Oh, okay. It's uh, Man from Movie Camera? Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah. You have seen that film, right? No. Ah, anyway. I I own the Blu-ray and I'm going to watch all, I'm going to watch it and all the stuff, all the like special features and like, uh, and like early stuff you made. Yeah. Before but, yeah. we do it. Yeah. In a million, uh, who knows what is time. Uh, what a list that shows an interesting taste and adds a new and troubling dimension to the sentence about the filmmaking who feels sexy as a child. Uh, Finn. Yes. I have been Googling. Mm. Nothing. I've asked Jeeves. Nothing. I've done that thing, which people do, where they think they're typing in the search field on Facebook, but they're actually typing in the status field, and so it's they just post an oblique statement like tweets about Winston Peters politician. Yeah, you've done a classic uh, Dean Norris uh, six gifts. <laughs> Dean Norris tweeted six gifts. Yeah. I mean, who hasn't it's, looked at some sex gifts? It's one of the all-time great tweets. <laughs> but also, and you know what? It happened like eight years ago. He's lifted up. He, he's, yeah. Yeah. Who, like, that's funny. But also, we are in a weekend, like, the sex gifts happen in sure. everyone's life. Sure, but, but like, but, but like now, now he's like embraced it. He, he knows he's the sex gifts guy. <laughs> he, he, he's cool with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean... Congrats, Dean. I did not. I can't believe I didn't know. Yeah, no, I am. I am so surprised you didn't know about that. (laughs) Oh, Asex Schrader. Anyway, (laughs) six. Yeah, he he doesn't have that much time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, anyway. So it just keeps hitting me in waves. <laughs> Say that. <clears throat> and the question is, where can people find you online? Uh, well, usually I'll tell you to fuck off and die. But currently you can hear me on a former guest and friend of the show, uh, Ben McGugan's... Uh, future guest as well, one sure. hopes, right? Yeah. Uh, you can hear me on his uh, new podcast, Every Effing Restaurant on Dominion Road, yeah. which is allegedly a restaurant review podcast and mainly not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I believe... Hayao Miyazaki shows up. No, no, uh, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. Yeah, yeah, I I apologize. I'm on episode two. The guest on episode one is uh, former guest and friend of the show and future guest Liv McKenzie. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm going to do one at some point. Yeah. Uh, Those are currently not on any podcast platforms, but they are on uh, YouTube. On Ben's YouTube. Yeah, which is a a, a very good YouTube channel. sincerely good and unique YouTube channel. Unique makes it sound like outsider art. Mm, okay. No, uh, that, no. But you can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Why not check out our website? It's at ShiteAndSound.com. If you like what I do, I'm at YouthAlives uh, uh, on various social media platforms trying to do some more Instagram because that's where all the cool kids are. Uh, and I might uh, start a, uh, 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 I might start a uh, Twitch soon where, where I'll live stream myself reading uh, out loud uh, the great works of uh, the great works of literature in order to cure my stutter. I don't have any uh, concrete plans for that yet, but I, it is something I am thinking about. I, I, 
I want to start a Twitch that is just called SSR and it is just for an hour a day. I do an hour of sustained silent reading, no interaction with the audience. The pitch being they can read along with me. Mm. I will never look at chat. I will just sit there and read. But like, what if someone offers you like fifty dollars to say the N word? Fifty American dollars? Yeah. Oh, harder. I think they can give you some leeway on that. What if I did it in like a Snapchat? And sent it to them, so only they had it, and it went away. Yeah, okay, well, l- luckily for you and uh, Crystalia, Snapchats go away, and uh, there's, there's, no, there's no way to save them. What? <laughs> oh, God. I have a lot of apologies <laughs> to say. To be clear, I would not do it for $50. Like, oh, uh, 10K and up, though. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, anyone out there has got, like, any six figures, I will go harder, and I will make it a hateful comment in a public <laughs> forum, just to be, and I'll make it seem sincere, okay? Uh, seven figures. Oh, I was going to say I'll commit hate crime, but I won't do that. I will... I'll record a cover of a rap song that has that word in it a lot. And I will, all the instrumentation will be me saying that word over and over again. And I'll get it printed on vinyl and send it to you. That's one million. Please sign up for my Kickstarter. You can put bit.ly. <laughs> At youth list. And to be clear, I, I, we all just need money to live. <laughs> My joke just then was about how we all have to compromise to live, mm. and not how I want. <laughs> I don't. You can sign up for my newsletter uh, at bit.ly slash youth That's coming back soon. I have two other podcasts, three now. One is the apology podcast where I just uh, have to apologize. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, the the second is called The Witching Hours, which is an eerie audio anthology. And the other one is called The Slow Path, where me and my partner, Briar, watch Doctor Who until we die. Our theme song is... The Nux by Kazam Blam. And you can check him out on Bandcamp. But Boo. don't go to Bandcamp uh, until September, because that's when the next Bandcamp Friday is. Hopefully. Film sound Nicholas. Yes. What film are we sounding Nicholas week? What film are we watching next week? Well. Our 100th episode. Yeah, for our 100th episode, we are doing the first different installment of Films, Film for It Films. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, good. Yeah. I mean, on the spreadsheet, it's just called Finn's Picks, but yeah. Uh, um, continuing the series that started with uh, Shites, Slight Sights <laughs> in episode 50. Great. When, when I did Suspiria and Children of Men. Yeah. We, 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 are, we are watching uh, two films that I love, uh, two films by, uh, uh, two films by uh, uh, journeyman director Herbert Ross. <laughs> 
his uh, 1973 uh, murder mystery co-written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim, The Last of Sheila, <laughs> and his 1981 musical flop starring Steve Martin and Bernadette Peters, adapted by Dennis Potter from his BBC miniseries of the same name, Pennies from Heaven. I, and I uh, t- uh, uh, Two movies that I have watched a bunch of times and think about a lot. And uh, I think are just uh, wonderfully nasty about uh, uh, about uh, show business in particular. I, and I look forward to as 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 in previous times I've watched Pennies from Heaven on your recommendation, being faintly baffled by your intensity of feeling, but amused by the films. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to it, and, and I look forward to the week after that because we've already done it. Hey, yeah. listeners. If you like the show, and it's a good show, you hear that episode just then? It was good. Yeah. IMO. I mean, I'd say that. Men like podcasts, specifically their own, right? Mm. And if you liked anything, <laughs> you'd like this podcast, right? Yeah. If you like, oh my God, <laughs> sex gifts. Uh, <laughs> um, guys, if you. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about sex gifts, everyone. <laughs> Guys, if you enjoy the show, and you do, that was a good episode, IMO. Uh, why not tell your friends? We're an acquired taste. It'd be great if other people could acquire it. And make sure to share it on social media with this week's hashtag, what is it, Finn? Uh, 17 and a half. It's what, oh, right. it's what you get when you add eight and a half and nine. Uh, and very embarrassing that it took me that long to work that out. Uh, my pitch is, uh, oh, Rob Marshmallow. Yeah, Rob Marshmallow. Got it. Hashtag Rob, Rob Marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Two L's. Yeah. Uh, uh, please send us. Uh, uh, please send us your illustrations of uh, Rob Marshall, uh, either as uh, the Steve Half Marshmallow, uh, the Steve Half Marshmallow Man, or uh, as the DJ Marshmallow from Fortnite. Or yeah, and if he could be trampling on Fellini, <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. And if it could be just like this trampling, it doesn't have to be much. Like ten percent hot, just like yeah. ten fifteen, or like me- like maybe like not 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 that this is something that I personally would find erotic, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. Uh, uh, but, but but like uh, Claudia Cardinale, uh, like a uh, uh, like a, a, a dunking Rob Marshall in like a, in, in like a mug of hot chocolate, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, and of course toes and soles clearly visible, uh, no blurring. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know we're so close to finishing, <laughs> but I do worry that like. Foot guys, we'll foot people. Sure. And do we mock them too much? <laughs> it just, it does seem like they are everywhere pestering people, right? It, yes, it does. Um, but also, oh, I don't know. Don't, just at the point where like most women on Twitch have to blur their feet. Yeah. Calm down, Quentin, I guess. But he, no, but he, he keeps it private. It just happens in his movies. Oh, no. And did you read that article written by the woman who had a one night stand with him? No, yeah, I'm, not, the, I'm not going to. Uh, uh, on, like, I, it, it is gross of her to share it publicly. Sure, yeah. But having read it, it doesn't just happen on set. No, sure. Yeah. But, like, there are very few things I'm less interested in than Quentin Tarantino's sex life. 
Yeah, it's exactly what you think yeah. it is. Uh, him, Roger Avery having sex, and then Quentin Tarantino stealing credit for it. <laughs> and the one bit of Roger Avery's work Quentin Tarantino didn't take credit for is, of course, uh, that drunk hit and run that killed someone. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Rules of attraction is good. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, whoop. <laughs> You know, I, I, I heard I heard he's got it written down in his will. <laughs> I, heard he, I heard he's got it <laughs> You know what? I heard that the co-writer of Pulp Fiction has it stated in his will that after he's dead, he wants his body hollowed out and, and filled with birds, so he becomes Roger Aviary. That <laughs> would be uh, a truly... That is, that is surely, with the escalation across Egger's of bird symbolism, of just them kind of being there in the witch to like yeah. uh, the whole plot is about bird to the Northmen having a few bits with quite a lot of birds. That's abs- the next step, which I presume is going to be called like uh, the couch. Hey, <laughs> 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 God, I want to see him do modern day. What does the modern day look like through Robert Egger's eyes? And it looks like people finding a couch which and it has a body that when they touch it reveals itself to be an aviary for Yeah, that's full of uh, four and twenty blackbirds. <laughs> yeah, the person is secretly a pie. It's Mark Margolis from Pie. The lead of Pie. Mm. Remember? <laughs> Don't bone me on this drill. <laughs> <laughs> Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go, Go watch them. There have been genocides carried out by every group of people. Um, no, okay, there have been no genocides done by as yet unborn children. Yeah, and that is for one pretty obvious reason because we keep killing them all. <laughs> I was going to go with the hands are too small. <laughs> it's because we genocide them before they can genocide us. It's sort of like Tenet, <laughs> where you're killing people back in time. Yeah. Kill it. It's, it's a reverse. It's a reverse tenet, <laughs> which is tenet. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm just. I have to say, I do agree with the Supreme Court. If this is how we're framing <laughs> uh, 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 abortion laws, which of course should be uh, uh, non-existent. To be clear, the law, but just you should be able to have an abortion as easy as going to the dentist. Which is to say, it's, it's very difficult and expensive and painful, and yep. you feel quite judged while you're there.
Trade and Sown.